Hello and welcome to Wangaratta Baptist Church. My name is Pastor Aaron. I'm so thrilled that you've decided to join with us today for this message. This message was recorded live at one of our Sunday morning services, which are on every Sunday at 10 a.m. right here in Wangaratta. If you're here uh, in town on a Sunday, then why not come along and join with us in fellowship with other believers as we open the word together and hear from the scriptures. But if you are connecting with us online, don't let this replace uh, coming to a, a local church. Uh, they are vitally important for the growth of all believers. And so get along to your local church. But if not, then, then at least help. let this be a supplement to help you in your walk with the Lord. And so we do believe that the, the scriptures are the inerrant word of God and they're here to train us and equip us. And so we will be speaking and opening up the scriptures together. So, so get your Bibles out and follow along. And I trust that this message that you are watching today will really encourage you and inspire you and help you understand the hope that we do have in Jesus Christ. May it be a blessing to you. We've learnt that our comfortable life and the routine that we had and that steadiness was so valuable. We've learned how important technology is to us to remain connected, even if it can be frustrating and a poor substitute for real in-person contact. We've learned about political agendas that have been laid pretty bare and open. We've learned how dangerous the media can be. We've learned that community is so vitally important to us all. Almost like we were created for it or something. We were. And we've learned to survive. We've learned to survive through two lockdowns. Melbourne's second one was way worse than ours. Praise the Lord that we got a little bit of less than them. We've learned to survive through toilet paper shortages and supermarket rationing. We've even learnt to survive being isolated and alone. And we even learnt to survive doing church online. We have learnt to survive. In so many ways, the battle to just survive has become our new normal by the sounds of things. As Christians, sometimes it really does feel that we are just scraping by by the skin of our teeth, that we're just surviving. Every day we're facing great threats and very real dangers. Yes, we are fighting the forces of evil and fighting against sin. But we're also fighting the more silent and more internal battles over comfort and convenience and battles over not just being hearers of the word but, being, but, but doers of the word and battles of faithfulness. And so I have a question for you. Are we supposed to just survive? Are we supposed to live a battle for survival every day? Or has God got something more than survival in store for us? Well, as you can see, the title of my message is How to Thrive, Not Just Survive. And so, yes, I do believe there is something in more for us, that God has more in store for us. And today we're going to open the scriptures to Daniel chapter 6. And we're going to see from the example and life of Daniel, how we as a church and as Christians 
can be people who thrive and not just survive. So, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask right now that you speak to us. I ask right now that as we open your word, you, you share your heart intimately with each one of us here. And that, Lord, you would indeed help us to move from a mentality of, of just a survival mentality to one where, Lord, indeed we can thrive through your leading and guidance. And so may this message today reach into our hearts and lives and may you speak to us now, we pray. Amen. So some people might be a little bit unfamiliar with the story of Daniel. Uh, and so for those that are unfamiliar, we'll just do a brief recap. Daniel was taken to Babylon in exile and he was trained in all the knowledge and wisdom. And God's favour came upon him as he remained faithful to God. And if you remember, for those that were here on uh, January 3, Kendall preached on Jeremiah 29. And Daniel and the other Israelites were told by Jeremiah not to just build your little enclave and, and you, you know, stay away and, and just be your own selves away from the rest of the city. No, they were told to build houses. They were told to plant gardens, to give their sons and daughters in marriage and to increase there. They were told, Jeremiah tells them to pray for the city of Babylon and for its prosperity. In other words, Jeremiah was saying, you do not have to live in exile with a survival mentality. Jeremiah was saying he wanted them instead to thrive whilst in exile. Now, I could preach a whole message just on that little bit right there, just on that little bit. But Daniel, he does exactly that. He doesn't shy away. He, he takes the bull by the horn, so to speak, and he goes for it. He was able to repeat and interpret the dreams of King Nebuchadnezzar and was found to be 10 times better than all others around him. The king even paid tribute to Daniel's gods as the God of God, to Daniel's God as the God of gods and the Lord of kings. Not bad for a, uh, a non-believing king, hey? And uh, Daniel, that, that's basically Daniel chapters 1 and 2. In chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar builds this statue which Daniel had dreamed about and Nebuchadnezzar orders all to bow down. Daniel's mates don't, and King Neb is furious. He orders the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than normal and orders these three fellows to be chucked in. Well, the guards who throw these three fellows in are incinerated, but not Daniel's mates Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. They are joined by a fourth person, believed to be Jesus, and come out of the furnace without even a singed hair and no smell of smoke on them. King Neb once again praises God. Then King Nebuchadnezzar has another dream and goes insane because of his pride. He humbles himself before God. Not only his kingdom is restored, but also his sanity. 
and he again, he praises God. Then he dies. And in chapter 5, King Belshazzar takes rule, most likely a descendant of King Nebuchadnezzar. Belshazzar, he holds this massive feast for a thousand of his lords and he orders the gold and silver vessels that were taken from the temple, from the Israelite temple in Jerusalem. He orders them be brought out to be drunk from. Suddenly, this hand appears out of nowhere and begins writing on the wall. It writes four words, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parson. Daniel is found to be the only one able to give the interpretation. God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Daniel that night is robed as a ruler and that very night Belshazzar is killed and Darius the Medes became king. And this brings us up to chapter 6 where we're going to spend our time today as we look from the account of Daniel how to thrive, not just survive. Now how old do you think Daniel might be by chapter 6? If you remember back to um, uh, uh, kids' church when you went to, to Sunday school, you would remember the lovely pictorial images of, of Daniel in a lion's den, which happens in chapter 6, spoiler alert. Um, uh, you would remember back to all those lovely pictures of him there. And, and he was pictured as what? A young man, mostly. You know, maybe teenager, early 20s, maybe in his 30s. Well, actually... By chapter 6, Daniel's 80. Yeah, he's, he's not a young man. He's a prime example of someone who finished well, isn't he? He's 80. He's basically, as you'll see soon, going to take on the leadership of the entire nation and, and kingdom of Babylon as president. He's going to, that, that's the role that he's been set up with, and he's 80. Right? Is that an inspiration to anybody that's closer to 80 than maybe closer to, to the other side? Finish well. Finish well. God does not stop wanting you to work for him. God has more in store for you to do right up until your last day. May you take courage from the story of Daniel that all of chapter 6 happens to an 80-year-old Daniel. He had an impact on those around him for the glory of God right until his end. So what we learn primarily about Daniel, how to thrive, not just survive, take a stand. Taking a stand means to publicly assert your unyielding support of, defence of, or position to something. This is what it means to be salt and light, to be different in a good way, to take a stand for Jesus and against sin, to take a stand for biblical convictions and against apostasy and compromise. You know, baptism is one way that we take a stand. We make, in our baptism, the public declaration of our faith in Jesus Christ and are united with him in his death and resurrection through the waters of baptism. 
It's a public declaration that we have repented and believe. That's one thing that Jesus calls believers to do. But the first thing that Daniel does to take a stand and thrive, not just survive, is he embraces his calling. Chapter 6, verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. So Daniel wasn't really like many other biblical prophets whose vocation was as prophet, right? Daniel, he, he was primarily a government official. That means he was a public servant. That, that was his job. That was his main vocation. He lived his mission out in the marketplace. He lived his mission in his workplace. We need Christians who are willing to live their mission and to embrace their vocation as their calling. You see, we need to banish from our thinking the idea that there is a sacred part of life and a secular part of life. All of life is sacred to God. You know, Jesus said, you are the soul of the world. And as we live in our community, in our businesses, through social interactions, community organisations and our relationships with people here in the northeast, we are that salt in our community. Earlier in January, the funeral of Reverend David Griffiths was held. He was pastor here many years ago. This was his first church. He took seriously the call to be salt and light. And whilst pastoring, he, he expressed that through joining the local Lions Club. And I'm part of the concert band for similar reasons, to be salt and light in our community, to be vitally involved in our community. And so it is encouraging that although we are several generations apart, I mean, he died in his 80s or 90s, I think, um, earlier this year, the call of Christ to be salt and light in our community remains, to be vitally involved in our community for the purpose of the gospel remains. That hasn't stopped in 2,000 years. But hang on, Aaron. That's fine for you to say you work here in the church. You don't know what it's like where I work to have the boss I have or the organisations I'm a part of. Well, Daniel, he didn't choose his vocation either. His job was chosen for him. Daniel chapter 1 tells how King Nebuchadnezzar took him by force and placed him in the king's court. So even if you have a job that you don't particularly like or a boss you don't particularly, you know, have fondness towards, you can still embrace it as your calling, as an act of worship before the Lord. You can still make a difference for him. And when I think of a Christian who thrived by embracing their calling to be salt and light in their world, William Wilberforce comes to mind. He was born in 1759 and grew up in a Christian family, but I guess you could say that his faith was more his parents than his own. 
1776, he enrolled in St. John's College in Cambridge. And not long after graduation, he ran for parliament. He was only 21 years old, and although running against a strong opponent, he won the election. In 1784, he was re-elected to Parliament, this time for the city of Yorkshire, which was a coveted seat in the House of Commons. But despite all of Wilberforce's success as a young man, he was inwardly wrestling with his life. And so in 1784, he visited former tutor um, named Isaac Milner, and through Milner's witness and testimony and through reading the Scriptures, Wilberforce had a deep spiritual conversion to Christ. When he was converted, religious enthusiasm was generally regarded as a social transgression as it was stigmatised in polite society. Evangelicals in the upper class were ridiculed and made fun of and this led Wilberforce to question whether he should remain in public office and in politics or whether he should join the ministry. And so he he sought advice from a bloke called John Newton, who you might know from writing just a a little ditty called Amazing Grace. That John Newton, a leading evangelical pastor of the day. Newton counselled him to remain in politics and told him that maybe God has you there for a reason. And so he stayed in politics. He embraced that vocation as his calling. And one thing that he became deeply passionate about was the evil of slavery. Now, when he first started out down the path against slavery, when it was first put to a vote in Parliament, there was him and the entire rest of Parliament were against him. No other person supported the end of slavery on his first attempt. But he laboured in Parliament for over 40 years, and by the end, it was passed and slavery was abolished in England and its empire, all because of a Christian who embraced their calling as salt and light. Did you know that the largest loan ever taken out in England's history was taken out at that time to basically buy the freedom of all the slaves? And that loan was paid off in 2015, some 200 years later. Most Britons alive today have helped pay to end slavery through their taxes. I find that just amazing. But how do we need more Christians like William Wilberforce, you know, who say, where God has placed me is my calling. And I'm going to take a stand and be salt and light. I'm going to approach my job as my worship. I'm going to be the church on mission for Jesus Christ in the world as salt and light where God has placed me. I'm going to take the hope of the gospel with me into my work because that is worship. If you want to thrive as a Christian, don't just pick up your Christianity on the door on your way into church and wear it like a coat when you're here on a Sunday and then leave it at the door when you leave. Embrace your calling wherever God has placed you because God places us where he wants us for his plans and purposes. The second thing we learn from Daniel, if we're going to take a stand and thrive, not just survive, we need to not only take a stand as we embrace our calling, but we also need to excel in character. 
Daniel chapter 6, verse 3. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. The king planned to make Daniel president of the whole kingdom. First he was one of the top three, and now he's going to be the, even the chief of the chiefs, the head, the head honcho, the kingpin of those three. This was all because he had an excellent spirit. Verse 4, Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. This is phenomenal. Just think of the politicians that we have today who have been caught out and smeared with dirt because they have not been faithful or they've cheated or failed morally. At some point, they've done the wrong thing and it's come back to bite them. Think of all the dirt units that are put together by the political parties to try and find all this dirt on on other politicians. But with Daniel, they couldn't find any dirt. Except for one thing, verse 5. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So look at what they're saying here. Daniel's character was so excellent that the only dirt they could find on him was his faith in God. The only ground of complaint that they had against Daniel was that he was a man who served after God wholeheartedly. What a great aspiration, eh? In 1 Peter 2.12, Peter writes, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And Titus 2.7-8, Paul says, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, And in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Daniel's opponents had nothing evil to say about him, except that he loved and served God. Isn't that a challenge for us? And it's really convicting. And it causes us to come before the Lord and ask him to search us and to repent before the Lord. We could ask this question. If people followed me closely, if they knew my browser history, if they knew what I watched on television, if they knew the things that I said in private conversations or the things said in anger or behind a muttered breath, if they knew the thoughts I have, Would I be like Daniel or a politician? Sobering thought for each one of us to take before the Lord and repent of areas of our failure. If we're going to make a difference in our walk as Christians and thrive here in the Northeast for the glory of God and the hope of the gospel, then we need excellent character. Now, excellent character does not mean that we are perfect. No one is going to be perfect. But a person of integrity is a person who is the same in public as they are in private. If you really want to get an idea of who someone truly is and if they are the same in public as in private, ask their spouse or children. 
There's no lies there. But third, as we take our stand, if we want to thrive and not survive, not only do we need to embrace our calling, not only do we need to excel in character, but thirdly, we need to exhibit courageous faith. We need to be people of no compromise. If you truly embrace your calling as, and you're open as a Christian, if you are a public as a Christian, as excelling in your Christian character, then you can expect opposition, which is exactly what happens to Daniel. Look at verse 6. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the councillors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked." Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. So what they did, they came and they appealed to Darius's pride. They set a trap for Daniel by playing to the king's ego because they knew Daniel's faith was no secret. They got the king to sign a document that um, everyone was to only pray to the king for the next 30 days. And King Darius signs away. And this is different to Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego who had to take a stand against idolatry in chapter 3. It's different here in Daniel because he had to take a, a stand against the law of the land. And throughout the centuries and even today, people all over the world have to take their stand against unjust and ungodly laws. So what does Daniel do? So remember for Daniel, disobedience would be very, very costly. He was going to be president. Would you give up the presidency for your faith? But it could also cost him his life. He could be thrown into the lion's den. And so basically Daniel has three choices. Just not pray for 30 days. Pray in private, you know, just in his heart that, that God will hear and no one else would see. Or he could do what he'd always done. Daniel, he took his stand. Verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, when he knew it had been signed, he went to his house where he had his windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Daniel did not compromise. He exhibited courageous faith. He did what he had always done. He prayed to God just as he had done his whole entire life, three times a day. And so when the law changed, it didn't mean a thing to Daniel. And there are three things we can learn about Daniel's courageous faith right here in verse 10. Number one, his faith was open. Number two, his faith was consistent. Number three, his faith was known. He continued in his convictions regardless of the cost, and it did cost. Verse 11, And these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, 
Did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles of Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he laboured till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Daniel exhibited courageous faith. He was willing to stand and not compromise his convictions. Are you willing to stand and not compromise your convictions? How do we thrive and not just survive? It's by embracing our calling. It's by excelling in character. It's by exhibiting courageous faith by not compromising and sticking by our convictions. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, when I read this account of Daniel, it makes me a little bit uncomfortable because I have to admit that I feel weak and I don't feel as courageous and as strong as Daniel. When we read these stories in the Bible, we tend to read them as morality tales. Be like Daniel. Dare to be a Daniel. I'm sure you've heard a message titled that. And there's some merit in that. Yes, this is teaching us how to thrive and not just survive as we take our stand. But where does the courage come from to take a stand like Daniel? To embrace your calling, to excel in character, to exhibit courageous faith. If I finish the sermon here, you will walk away convicted, but not transformed. So where does the courage come from? Verse 19. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve, continually been able to deliver you from the lions? And then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. God sends his angel to shut 
a lion's mouth. That's where the courage comes from to embrace your calling, to excel in character and to exhibit courageous faith. It comes from God. But wait a second. Does God always shut the mouth of the lion? I wonder how Ignatius of Antioch would read this story. He was a Christian who in the first century, um, in 108 AD, was literally eaten by lions in the Colosseum. Or how do the believers of Hebrews 11 read this story? You know, by the end of that chapter, it's talking about Christians who've been stoned and imprisoned and even sawn in two. How would they read this story? But if you think that God has put this story in the Bible to teach us that if we are innocent and stand for him, then we can expect him to deliver us without a scratch, then we are just kidding ourselves, aren't we? Because you know and I know by our experiences that this is not true. Christians do get beaten up and killed for their faith. Yes, even today. You might be as blameless as Daniel and stand, take your stand just as Daniel did and still die for your faith. This is the reality in our world. This is the truth. This is reality. If we read this story just as a morality tale, then we miss something immensely powerful about this story. Because I know someone who is more innocent than Daniel, someone who was thrown metaphorically into a lion's den, whose stone was rolled over his tomb, where no deceit was found in his mouth, and yet he was ripped to shreds and torn apart. Daniel's miraculous deliverance is just that. It's a miracle. Darius says as much in verse 27. He says, God delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. It was a miracle. But what is a miracle? Well, let me tell you what a miracle isn't. A miracle isn't just a naked display of God's power. All the miracles that Jesus did in the Bible were signposts. They pointed forward to the future coming kingdom. When Jesus healed the blind, when he made the lame walk, when he raised Lazarus to life, they were all signposts pointing forward to, the, to what God's future kingdom will be like. There'll be no death, no disease. The devil won't reign anymore in God's future kingdom. And so in the lion's den, you have God's kingdom breaking out. And do you know what it says in Isaiah? It says that the lion will lay down with the lamb. God will shut the mouths of the lions in God's future kingdom. So where does the courage come from to stand for God, even though it might cost you? It comes from knowing that even though you might give your life now, you have eternal life. You have a life to come. This also points to Jesus. You know, in verse 22, Daniel said, my God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouths. And in chapter 3, we know that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego had that fourth person with them in the furnace who's believed to be Jesus. 
as one who was like the, the son of the living God. Later in that chapter, he's called the angel of the Lord. And here we see God sent his angel to shut the mouth of the lions. Jesus shut the mouth of the lion so that Daniel could not be harmed. Jesus could shut the mouth of the lion because on the cross, he suffered the full roar of God's wrath against sin so that our sin could be paid for, so that we, he could shut the mouth of the lion forever. Don't let anyone ever tell you in Daniel chapter 6 that Daniel is the lion tamer. He's not. Jesus is the lion tamer in Daniel chapter 6. John 10.10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The devil is that lion that comes to kill and destroy. But Jesus has come to bring life. He has shut the mouth of the lion. You might feel right now like you're being crushed, like you're in the mouth of the lion. But remember, Jesus has shut that mouth. Jesus has defeated Satan on the cross so you don't have to fear any longer. You can walk in faith. Where does the courage come from to embrace your calling, to excel in character and to exhibit courageous faith? It comes from Jesus who has tamed the lion, who has closed the mouth of the lion, who has delivered us from our sins and brought us to glorious light. So what is our response today? Well, I would hope that you would take your stand. And here's something that we can actually do, is make a commitment, I will take my stand. I will embrace my calling. I will excel in character. I will exhibit courageous faith. I will thrive as a Christian and not just survive as I take my stand in Jesus Christ. Are you going to take that stand today? We're going to sing another song right now called King of My Heart. And I'm just going to be down the front here. If you want me to pray for you, just come forward. I'd love to do that for you. I know we don't do it regularly and it's a bit weird. It's a bit different. That's okay. You can take your stand and you're in friends. No, no judgment here. So if the team would like to come, I'm just going to pray as they come up here. Heavenly Father, I pray that we indeed will take our stand. That Lord, from this story of Daniel, we would not just see it as a tale of morality, but Lord, you would transform us through your son, Jesus Christ, who gives us the courage to embrace our calling, to excel in character and to exhibit courageous faith. Lord, I pray that we each would declare today, I will thrive as a Christian and not just survive as I take my stand in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's sing.